This is The Michael Bryan Show. Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. And in this episode, I have multiple guests telling their stories of overcoming adversity in this adversity series. The first person in the adversity series is Joey Garcia. Joey, thanks for coming on. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a bit about your story then. So not just, you know, the the ins and outs, but what what have you actually achieved so far? Yeah. um, So I'm an author. My book is called When Your Heart Breaks, It's Opening to Love. And it's about getting over heartbreak and affairs and divorce. I'm also an international speaker. I've traveled around the world speaking to female entrepreneurs and speaking to writers about book publicity. And I I coach people on healthy relationships with themselves and others. Awesome. Well, that's clearly a fine resume in terms of where you are right now. But what was the the most valuable thing that you've had to overcome? So it could be extremely dark, I'm aware. But obviously now you're at the other side of it, looking back, which one would you say was the most important or valuable for, for where you've got to? I think really overcoming childhood trauma because it lingered for so long and um, caused me to be anxious and depressed a lot of the time. And I grew up in a household with a lot of um, domestic violence and also physical violence towards me. So I was physically abused as a child. Um, And I understand so much more about those dynamics. But of course, as a child, we don't, you know, I didn't. Uh, so it took me a long time to even kind of wake up and see and understand myself and become self-aware enough to know that I needed help and to get the help I needed. Well, that that's something that so many children tend to go through and some never... Actually, that's an important really- thing right there. Can I just say that? Because, you know, one of the things we forget is that it is almost... Uh, just another human experience. It's horrifying. I don't want anyone to go through it, but so many of us have that it is actually just kind of an initiation experience in some ways. And that's, that's scary, but it's also reality. Yeah, it's frightening. It really is. One of the things that stands out, especially this day and age anyway, is it's interesting what we become normalized to and what we sort of take as a given. Not, I mean, we don't take it for granted, right? It's the wrong way of putting it, but... But I think you're right, normalized to. Yeah. Yeah, And then when I'm normalized to something, trauma, um, abandonment, um, abuse, then I recreate it. I'm drawn into relationships where that pattern is recreated. And I could say all kinds of terrible things about why that's true. But what I've discovered for myself is that it actually, when I realized it, it actually helped me because I saw all of those relationships as opportunities to be different, to not go to sleep and just repeat the pattern I had in the past, but instead to begin to speak up for myself, set boundaries, um, recognize where I was contributing to the problem and pull back, step out of the relationship, all the healthy things that I needed to do. So it's taken me many years, but I feel so much better. Yay. (laughs) Yeah. I can 
I can't imagine. So you mentioned things like boundaries, stepping away, realizing where you perhaps contributed to the problem. They all seem like a conversation that you had to have with yourself or somebody else. It doesn't seem like something you could ever do realistically as a child. So what was the process like for overcoming it? Did Was it therapy? What were the steps? What was the the initial stage because sometimes that's that's the hardest part people talk about you build your momentum and you gradually start to get to the other side but dare i say it that comes across as the easy bit actually understanding that you can get past it there is a light at the end of the tunnel that's all well and good but in the moment what was the moment that you decided to step away from it to move on from it and talk to us a bit about how you felt in that moment like what was the self-talk that flipped the script for you yeah I stepped away you know I moved out of my parents house when I was 19 and um in in a in a way it seems late to leave but i didn't think i could leave i didn't even have the self-esteem or self-worth to believe i could leave and live on my own so that was one piece of it i stepped away only because i wanted to be free freedom is my key value in life i wanted to be safe i wanted to be free and that's been driving me toward using many tools for healing since the fifth grade, I've kept a journal and it's just a dump of my brain, whatever's going on. It, it, you know, it, it might be poetic, but it, a lot of times it's just drama and it's a free place. You know, no one listens like the paper. It's very free. That helped me. Yes, I went to talk therapy. I, I value talk therapy. I also went and experienced um, alternative healing techniques. I believe in the whole palette as a way to heal myself. It may not be right for everyone, but I mean, I incorporated, you know, meditation and massage and um, yoga and um, different um, uh, alternative healers, shaman. So, you know, people that are really in and true to that. I know a lot of Americans like to say they're shaman. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who actually did indigenous healing work. And I did it consciously, not that I wanted to become a devotee, but rather I was there to heal myself. I wasn't there to become a healer. I was there to heal myself. Was this a case of throwing so much at it that it was going to work eventually? Did you have to try a lot before? Because some people can try to search for the answers and the solutions. So they try everything until they find something that works and then there are people like you know like you try it doesn't quite do it so you got to keep searching for the, the thing right or oh, great question. throw everything at it and then go well it's going to work now let's see about the whole practical maintenance dose of this thing because this is not going to be a, a two weeks and done scenario no, it wasn't really that for me. It was more, it wasn't a, that I wanted to throw everything at it. It was that I believed that there were um, bits of healing that would occur with all the things I tried. And I would go deeper into some, like I went deeper into yoga and meditation. I became a meditation teacher. I became a yoga teacher. I went deeper into natural healing. I became a certified herbalist. Um, that was for me. 
I went deeper into some things. I, you know, I went to therapy every week. Um, I went to 12 step groups. I tried everything that would consistently bring me value. That's what I believed. And I feel like, I mean, I feel like those things were transformative for me. Yeah. So do you do like a maintenance dose now? Because I'm conscious of the fact that it may have relapses. You may have similar thoughts to what you used to have. Is that the case? And do you do like a, a maintenance, like almost like a self cur kind of scenario whereby, okay, I've got rid of it, but to prevent it from happening or relapsing or whatever the case is, right? It's difficult. It's difficult to, to maintain the the self-worth that you've had to build up over time do you do anything to maintain what you've built up so far one of the things i do which is going to sound a bit wacky but i i try to stay conscious about any sources of pain or shame um and i try to get rid of those so um or fear you know just where places where i may not be trusting myself or the universe you know um and i don't mean that in a woo woo way i mean literally what's outside of me um uh, so for example um i was i've been terrified about financial security in many part many times in my life so um I decided to, when I decided to leave one of my jobs, which was as a teacher years ago, a high school teacher, I left without having another job. I purposely did that <laughs> because I wanted to prove to myself that it was just a fear attached to things in my past and wasn't true. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I do believe, yes, it's important for me personally to have financial security. That's just a value of mine, but I don't want to I don't want to lean into it from a place of fear. I want to just accept that this is something that's important to me and behave accordingly, right? So there's freedom in it for me. So that's that's an example of um, of just looking at something and and taking the risk as a way to get rid of the fear, actually acting on it. And I had moments of fear. Um, I had a really magical thing happen once. At one point, I had no money. None. I don't know. I went to the bank. I thought I was shocked. <laughs> like somehow I was overdrawn. I, I came home <laughs> and I said, I said to the universe, look, um, I'm on this path and you better help me. I need some money and you better send it now. And I am not kidding. Within an hour, a check dropped in the mail. And I'm just talking to the universe. <laughs> this sounds so wacky. I know it does, but really a check dropped in the mail. And of all things, it was from a hospital where I had surgery five years before. And they said I overpaid and it was exactly the amount I needed, <laughs> exactly the amount of money I needed. And I thought, okay, trust. I needed to learn trust. When I learned trust, the miracle happened, right? I mean, maybe that check would have happened anyway, right? But it was the magic moment for me to align with the idea that I could begin to trust and I was safe. For someone who comes from a traumatic childhood, that's a big deal, right? So, so that so that's an example for me of of that, you know, what I really had to work through. And the pandemic was another one. Um, in the first, well, a year ago, it was actually a year ago in March of 2020. In a three-day period, I lost 75% of my income. Wow. Yeah, because I speak at events and all the events canceled, <laughs> right? So, right. And so I had to really learn how to move my, myself through that. 
Um, and I did, I 20, I said, I'm going to give myself 24 hours, you know, be sad about it and scared. And I did. And then I, I said, okay, now I've got some time. That's what I, the gift is. I have time. So let me do some things I've been wanting to do. And I did. <laughs> I, cleaned, I cleaned things out and, you know, I did a bunch of writing essays that I wanted to write and I used that time and then work started to come. Interesting you bring that up because um, I, I wrote a book in the pandemic. I love it. I love it. Yes. I, I would not have had, there was no physical way I could have had the time to do it because where, where I'm currently living, we had a full lockdown. Only thing that was open were pharmacies and supermarkets. Every, like the, the, the essentials sort of how they classed it they were the only things that were allowed to be open and they were also the only reasons why we were allowed to leave the house same same here in california so we so we so i ended up sitting down one day and thinking okay well i've got all this spare time i can't even go for a walk right so what do i do and i had this like weird moments of well what takes a long time because if you do a short thing when you've got loads of time you've got to then find something else and something else and then something else so if it was like oh i'll read a book no i could read a book in a day i've got to find like oh how many books am i going to need you know so i thought oh, i'll write a book that's a project that takes a long time a lot of people have a hard time with it, just like me. This is my fourth attempted book. Uh, never finished the other three. And let's give it a go. So I like the fact that you've you turned it around and said, right, what can I do? What can I do in the situation that I've got? But, and this is the important thing, looking back in hindsight, after everything that you've done, all of the work that you've had to do on yourself, convincing yourself that you were worth improving on, right? As someone has gone, I've gone through my own set of all full times as well. That's the difficult one, believing that you're actually worth improving. Um, is that something that you're able to share in terms of in right in that moment, the very day the very second that you decided that you were going to change things what was that conversation like the conversation when I was 19 and I decided I was going to move out of my parents house and and live for myself yeah um well it was that's a great question so it really was um a conversation about freedom I didn't feel free. And I've always loved that. Even as a small child, I was the one who was running off in the fields alone, right? Happy running by myself, freedom. So I didn't feel free and I wanted to feel free. And, um, and I said to myself, you know, I'm either going to die here because I'm going to kill myself because I can't stand living with these people. And I don't feel like I can be myself. And they have an idea of who I should be. And it's not who I am. So I have to make a choice and the choice is toward freedom. Um, so that was, that was really the conversation. And, you know, it was scary. I was terrified, but um, 
here I am all these years later, I made it. Yay. And that means other people can too, you know? And I, I will say that I, like I, you know, like I said earlier, I, I've, I suffered a lot when I was younger with really severe depression. Um, my experience was different. I think than I mean, not everybody who has depression has the same kind of depression. That's one of the things I think that's, that's harmful to believe. Right. Um, mine was definitely tied to my childhood trauma. So the more I could alleviate the tra that trauma, the more the depression alleviated as well. So it's now I just have a normal experience maybe once a year, like other people do, you know, instead of sitting in it so much. So that was great. That was very healing. It's interesting that you bring up the fact that you have a bout of like depression or sad moments, just like anybody else. And I think that can make things complicated in terms of how do you know when you're above and beyond what the normal experience is? Oh, that's a great question. Well, you have so many good questions. Thank you. Uh, for me, it would be, you know, um, a life event. So someone pass, someone dear to me passes away, of course, I'm going to be sad. And of course, that, uh, you know, I'm going to miss them. And I might feel some depression around that. Or um, the pandemic, and I lose all my work, of course, I'm going to be sad. And of course, I'm, but I'm, I'm also in charge of the feelings, the feelings are not in charge of me. That and, you know, I'm in charge of my thoughts, my thoughts are not in charge of me. And um, so for me, that means that I, get to decide how long I'm going to be sad or depressed in those situations. Like I said, during the pandemic, I gave myself 24 hours. I'm going to be like grieving this for 24 hours and then I'm moving on. I'm going to make use of this time. So it's really about choosing life, saying, you know, what would bring me joy? What would make me happy? What can I do right now for me? I like the fact that you, you share a lot about, how because what you've been through is disempowering you've got to event when you get past it you have the conversation around freedom and then it's i've got to become empowered which looks like doing things for you so that that really stands out because in a world where you were you know a lot of your self-worth a lot of your self-respect was taken away in order to gain some of it back you almost had to start taking control of certain aspects of your life certain aspects of your happiness right like what can i control what can i actually have a lot of control over that also makes me happy um it's a very interesting perspective to be fair because so many people forget that Sometimes the only way you can really be happy is to actually take time for yourself. And I think it's a very important story and a very important perspective to share because some people don't realize that that's one of the keys to it. It sounds very intense to go from like zero to a hundred in terms of doing things for yourself but you only have to do like one thing, you know, one thing a day can be enough. It doesn't have to be your entire life doing things just for you. Because when people think about selfish and selfless, that's what people think of. It, it's uh, like, I'm probably selfish 
once or twice a day. I, I, I think a lot of times though, what we believe is selfish is self-care. Yeah. And I think that's, it's really important for all of us to, to come to a healthy definition for ourselves. So we understand the difference between selfish self-care, you know, um, it's a good point. Yeah. We are, even when we are engaged in self-care, other people who do not give themselves permission to do the same will, will judge it as selfishness. And that can be harmful to us, right? Cause we can take it in and believe it. And it's not true. All we're doing is, is managing the mind, body, spirit that we're, we're, you know, we're in <laughs> in this moment on this planet, right? And maybe managing the planet, whatever part of it, our house or whatever that we're in charge of. I, I think it's sad that we have so much judgment against each other for things that um, are really about mental, emotional, and spiritual health. Nicely put, Joey, as, as I like to say. Um, one last question before, before we... We finish. I really enjoyed it, your perspective, and thanks for sharing your your story as well. I think, you know, depending on where you are right now, there's so much that it's prepared you for. You know, there's so much that the strength that you now have, a lot of the time, and I have spoken to a few people about this, is very often you're better because of it. And, what, and when I say that, I don't mean everyone needs to go out and, <laughs> and do it. What I mean is if you've never gone through anything, you actually develop the strength because you're going to get past it. What difference is, is what state are you in when you get past it? And that, that thing that you only get when you go through something like what you've gone through. So with that in mind, what would you say now? Look, this is going to be a difficult question, I'm aware. What would you say now? Did the experience teach you? Or what do you think perhaps you took from it that was a positive? Um, I think two things. It taught me how to love myself and it taught me the value and the essentialness of self-awareness. I have to do work every day to understand myself, understand why I do the things I do, be willing to not be in denial and see the deeper level of my behavior and my words to myself and to others so that I can really develop myself. So those two things I think are key. The interesting thing for me is, you know, after all that abuse, my father many decades later apologized. And I learned from him why, of course he was, as it turns out, abused, right? So we had a conversation and over the years we've been developing a relationship. We're actually quite close now. No one, you know, I never expected, I never expected to talk to him again. You know, we're often taught in therapy just to write these people off. Um, I did write him off for a number of years, but here I am again and we're friends, right? So, so that's a lovely thing. And that's what I mean about self-love for, for times in my life, it was important for me to have a boundary and say, no, never, never again. Right. And, and then to, when he apologized, it was important for me as an act of self-love to 
take care of myself through that. Just because he apologized doesn't mean that anything has to change other than me listening to the apology, right? And and then make just make um, baby steps, tiny steps for me on the journey because. Again, my value in life is freedom. So I want to feel free. If I still dislike, hate someone, have, you know, whatever, revenge fantasies, whatever, these are all blocks that keep me from being free. Other people, it might be different. Well, that is a very, very positive way to end. Joey, thanks for coming on. Those of you that are listening, feel free to either send Joey a message. I'll post links to social media, websites, check out the book which he's written. I'm sure those of you that are in relationships or want to improve the relationship with yourself, then the book will be an amazing read. Joey, thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. It was my joy to be here with you. Next in the studio, we have Belle Lockerbie. Belle, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Mike. It's awesome to be on the show with you. So share with us a bit about what you've achieved so far. So if someone was to say, what do you do and what have you done? You know, share a bit about that. Yeah, awesome. Okay. So aside from the, I guess, normal things in life, I'm a mum and a bonus mum to four kids. I have a post-grad degree from one of Australia's top business schools in change management. And I'm a best-selling author of Awkward is the New Brave. And if you were to ask some of the people that I've worked with, they'll tell you that I have helped around about a thousand women mostly in my community take their passions and turn them into products and make six and even seven figures in a way that works for them. So they're they're some of my big chunky achievements, I guess, which is really nice. This is the reason why we start with that though, because very often we can, we can often feel like our achievements don't really, don't really mean a whole lot. So for those that are listening, despite some of the challenges that Belle's gone through, which we're going to get to now, you're still able to do the things that you want to do. All right. So I'll share a bit about some of the more valuable challenges that you've had to experience. Okay. Personally, I like there's, there's been a lot that has happened in my life. I've had quite a few traumas that I've gone through, but one of the most valuable that I have personally been through is redefining bravery. That was that was my big challenge word. So over time with how I grew up and my family structure and, and I guess you could kind of call it a restructure and um, certain things that you would expect to grow up with and have a certain role did not have those roles. Um, I woke up one day with this real desire to redesign, to redefine what the word brave meant because I had become so strong and I actually was really worried that I no longer knew how to be vulnerable and be soft. So I had to sit about redefining that and being brave in a different way. So for me, I'm fine with being brave in business and taking risks, but I wanted to make sure that I taught my kids what joy and love looked like and what success 
can also mean in a holistic sense, not just in work, but in life. And, and how do you actually get to go out and do those things that maybe you'd put on the back burner for whatever reason? That was probably my biggest challenge was overcoming that internal chit chat that says you can't do it or you're not good enough. So where did the, the chit chat come from? I mean, the the guest that I, I sort of previously spoke to, she, she experienced a lot of childhood trauma and physical abuse and those things so did it come from any particular moment that you could think of yeah so part of my journey when I went through this I actually spent a lot of time reflecting where that definition of brave had come from and when I was very little my idea of brave was Wonder Woman and superheroes and thinking that bravery meant you saved people and I spent a good chunk of time jumping off desks at my dad's office and accidentally knocking myself unconscious but one of the one of the standout points for me was when I was really little my father had a swimming pool out the back and my younger sister thought that she could swim with floaties and she couldn't so she jumped in the pool and went down to the bottom and I was outside with her and my mother was inside and I lied down and put like basically I still remember like the feeling of like the the hot sun and the wet concrete and reached like kind of reached her up with my hand and twisted her little leopard print bikini around my wrist and started screaming for my mum so she came out and in my mind I thought that I had saved her and I was a hero and I was going to get a medal and that I was going to be famous and on tv so I told every single person that I saw and my mother eventually pulled me aside and said, shh, no one likes a bragger. And in that moment, I didn't realise until many years later, my definition changed to be brave and save people and don't say anything about it. So a year later, when someone misused their power within my childhood and innocent things like hide and seek were not so innocent. I protected my sister, but I stayed silent. Even when I was questioned, I stayed silent. And when my mother suffered from severe depression when I was 11 and I was kind of charged with being her parent and my sister's mother, I guess, to a certain degree, I still stayed silent. I never reached out and asked for any help. When my mum took her life when I was 19, I still became that protector person of trying to hold everything else together and I stayed silent. So it took a really long time to unpack that I had this unhealthy definition of brave and I kind of associated with it with being strong and resilient and having this kind of determination that I didn't want circumstances to dictate my life but in my desire to avoid certain outcomes of family members, I ended up acquiring this big fear of sadness and this big fear of being vulnerable and this big fear of speaking up. Well, that that, that sounds like something pretty pretty big, you know, something pretty traumatic with as far as the family side is concerned. I mean, it sounds like something that was difficult to speak to somebody about as well especially if you've got people that were like no one likes a bragger you know keep it to yourself all those sorts of things it can be very hard even just to talk to someone yeah absolutely 
just talking to someone doesn't really help. No, so so fear kind of kicks in. You think that um, something may happen to the person that you're trying to protect. So you you tend to like stay silent and you will stay silent about your achievements, which is why it's, it's great to hear you getting people to celebrate what they have accomplished at the start because that can be quite a challenge for people as well. And recognising that um, some days getting out of bed is a big enough achievement if, you, if you're dealing with any mental health issues. And that's part of why I'm really passionate about who I help and how I help them is because I lost my mum because she didn't have the tools and resources at that time to, to fight it in the right way. So what was the moment that you decided to sort of remodel your your thoughts on what bravery was like was there a particular moment did you have to have a conversation with yourself around it that really started to get the the ball rolling for you yeah there there were a couple of I would say moments in the lead up to to where I made that decision so one was I lost my older sister to cancer when my daughter was between five and six months old. So that was a point where I knew that I didn't want to work the traditional way. I wanted to be around for her as a mum, and I wanted to be like, have a different experience. So I'm really grateful for my life. And I I take um, that gift of life very seriously. And that led me to leave my corporate job and start coaching women to create their own businesses on their own terms, which has been wonderful work. The next point, though, was when I was facilitating one of those workshops and this this young photographer named Amanda had said to me, how am I supposed to be myself when I've been in the corporate world so much and how am I supposed to express who I am now? And she'd come from like a, a geophysicist background and I looked at her and I said the words, there is great strength in choosing vulnerability And I felt like I completely Brené Browned her. And on the inside, I cringed a little bit because I thought you are not walking your truth. You are not living fully authentically and being brave in all of these other areas of your life. Like great that you're doing well in business, but what about um, relationships and what about just going out and having fun and being joyful and, and doing these things that have been on your list to do? So that that point in time really convicted me and it wasn't probably another good six months later until I woke up in the middle of summer in my bed in January and it was coming up to the 25th year of my mum's death and I was crying because I was so worried that I didn't know how to be vulnerable anymore. So I reached out to a friend, that was my first stop, and said, I, like, I need help with this. And she's actually quite good at emotional vulnerability. So I say that she is emotionally brave. And it caught some people as, you know, a little bit of a shock because they saw me as this strong, resilient person who probably was like always the, the happy person but didn't realise that that had become like a happy mask that was so tightly glued that it was a challenge to take it off and say, you know what, I, I need help with this stuff. So that was my first step was to ask a friend if they would be my brave bestie, I guess, like if you will, in doing some doing some different things in life. That was that was a big one. It must be difficult to actually get that mask off 
if you've got so many benefits of keeping it on everything from how you're perceived to people probably even relying on you to be strong and being the strong person giving other people the freedom to be vulnerable themselves because you're like the counterbalance right so sometimes being the strong person gives other people the permission to not be that because they've got you right? right so what point did you decide to be vulnerable and take the mask off what what did you actually have to do to do that there's a few things so the first was I started being kind to myself so with, within this journey I really had to get up and look in the mirror each day and be grateful for little things and really be kind and and not beat up the person that I saw in the mirror um, so that was the first step that the next one was more I kind of think of bravery as though it's like a muscle so you start with the the easy things on your list and you work up to the harder things so my even though like when I look back at it those easy challenges were still quite difficult so I I decided that I'd wanted to learn how to surf from when I was a teenager but I didn't have the the funds or or access to do it so it's like right I'm going to go and learn to surf and that's where like chit chat will kick in because it's like you're in your 40s, you're carrying extra weight. Who on earth are you to take your big yellow beginner's board down the beach where the surfers are and get out there and have fun? And that, that was like days of consistently telling that little voice to just, look, I, I hear you, but you can just be quiet now. Like I'm just going to do this anyway. I'm sure the surfers are concerned about other things aside from a woman with a giant yellow board. I like that. So, so yeah, so it was it was little things like that, and eventually I worked up to um, having a conversation with my a surviving parental figure around the abuse that had happened when I was little. I wanted it wasn't a witch hunt; it was more around understanding whether they even had any knowledge of it. So that was a that was a hard conversation to have, and it was hard for them too because they didn't know what I wanted to like I'd framed it to say um, I want to have a difficult conversation with you it's around when mum was alive you may not like the questions and I may not like the answers but it's important for me to do this are you willing to have this conversation with me and luckily and graciously they said yes but I had to make peace with it before I even asked that question. I had to, you know, reconcile that if they said no, then that was, I had to leave it at that and just let everything go. If they were to say, no, I don't want to have the conversation. So that was really tricky, but it was about building up to each thing and not starting with the hardest thing. I think more and more people do actually need to hear what you said about how to attempt anyway to open the door for the difficult conversations you know yeah just that little script that you gave there um i'm tempted to take that and just like send it everywhere because whether it's whether it's family friends colleagues the way the world used to be or even where the world is right now it's going to take a lot of difficult conversations before we're able to even move forwards and say, look, yeah. I'm not going to like the questions, neither are you. You're not going to like the answers, probably neither am I, but this is something that we both need 
um, to be able to move forward. And I think just that, just that script alone, I was like, whoa, people need to. Oh, yeah. So, um, so after my book came out, I got some, I got asked some really big questions around how did I get to forgiveness and how do you prepare for those hard conversations? So, there is, believe it or not, Mike, there are actually scripts for it in a little um, program that I have called Behaving Bravely, which steps you through all of those things. And and also, it's really important that if you do want to have those conversations that you're emotionally ready for it, that the environment you're choosing is safe for both parties and that you've got some way, if you're feeling nervous about it, you've got some way to manage your nervous energy. So I I would wear um, a little bracelet that I would twist when I went into this just so I could channel whereabouts my nerves were going to go because they were really, it was a really big question to say, were you aware of the abuse that happened when I was a kid? Like, did you suspect anything? It was a, it was a really big question. And um, Hamish, who's a, the character, the name of the person in the book, his answer was yes. And he's, he did try to do the right things as a parent. I was asked as a child, but because I was so resolute on um, protecting people, I denied, like I wouldn't answer the question. And he'd had he'd seen other evidence of it too. And he's like, well, you know, I tried to do the right thing. So what like what else was supposed to happen? So we had a really big conversation about all sorts of stuff there. And it was really hard for him to do too. Um, but there was that preparation, and it is really important to prepare both parties around how things like that might go down. Is there anything that you can share or prepare to share? in terms of the the preparation making the environment safe for both parties but then when you have difficult conversations the emotions happen all the way through the conversation all the way through whether it's while you're asking the questions i've been there i've been nervous i've had difficult conversations i've had people that I've had a hard time asking the questions of because while you're saying the words, it's it's very emotional and it's very difficult just, just to find words, just to actually, because you can have them written down as well, but to actually say the words is very, very different. So what advice would you give to someone that's mentally ready to have the conversation? They want to do it. They know it's going to be better for everybody to move forwards but then the emotion starts to kick in, whether it's beforehand, mid-conversation or even afterwards. Yeah, look, I, I think part of it is own, like owning when you frame up that conversation with them that it's not going to be easy for either of you and to remember that you are asking for a safe space and you're asking for them to do that too and to really focus on your breathing through there. So that's why I would... I would take an object with me just to channel the emotional energy that I might be feeling. Um, Hamish did tear up. He got quite emotional, whereas I think I have, like that particular topic, I'd thought about and processed that for, you know, like over 25 years, really. is it? It's a really long time. Um, and it was it had a massive impact on my life. So I 
visualize how it was going to go. We did have that safe space. It was a very calm environment. So making sure that, you know, really checking in with yourself about where you are emotionally. And if it's not seeming like it's going the right way, have the confidence to say, look, maybe this, maybe it's too soon and maybe we can revisit this another time and giving each other the option to walk away. So that's a very interesting point. Thing. Very yeah. interesting point. And I think, uh, you know, there's, there's the old saying of time heals all wounds, but eventually the the closure element's important as well. Like you can be mentally past it, not as emotionally charged about it, but the conversation might still need to be had. And it's whether or not enough time has gone by or enough time has healed the wound, so to speak, before yeah. everyone's prepared to essentially rehash it to a certain Yeah, that's real- that's right. I do think I do think it's much more powerful to speak from a scar as opposed to from a wound because then that's that's where you may exp- I mean, we're, we're all human, but it's where, like, you, your emotions may start managing the conversation as opposed to your your heart and your soul managing the conversation and, and really, you know, approaching it with empathy for, for both parties, which is really hard. Um, and recognising that if it is about a past event that Pete, and this is, you know, something tricky to say, I believe that if people were given the right resources and the right environment, that they would probably make good decisions. Like if they were aware of the impact of things, they might have made different ones. And that was a tricky one for me to own as well as that um, at my age when I was like, you know, six and seven and nine and 11, I thought the right thing to do was not speaking up and I have to own that that was that was my decision because of what I knew as a child. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for, for those that are listening, I'll put links to some of the resources that Belle mentioned before about how to have the difficult conversations and and things like that. But just one one last question for you. Very often we don't really get the lessons from our experiences until we look back you know hindsight being 2020 and all that what lessons or what good do you think that you took from what you've been through okay so probably a big one was share like sharing your story is really valuable so sometimes we can minimize our traumas and we can minimize our triumphs as well So it's really important to stand on your story. I think that's incredibly powerful to recognise that when you are brave, it may need redefining as you go through life. So really thinking about how do you want to be brave and, and what does that look like for you in the next stage of your life? So whether it's in business or relationships or Um, getting out and just experiencing joy and doing something that's on your bucket list, really think about how you can move forward instead of having that fear just paralyze you from your own growth. So um, it's really important to take time and reflect on what has been and who do you want to grow into so that you can basically take control of who you are and who you want to be. And what I found is when I was brave and shared that story, I had 
women in particular reach out and say, you know what, I thought it was just me and thank you so much because now I don't feel alone. And I think connecting human, connecting humanity in particular is one of the most powerful things we can do because we are united through common experiences and the differences that they have. So ultimately, we are, we're all after similar things. We're all after joy. We're all after security and stability, but it depends on how we want to define it. That's well said. And I think sometimes defining it is definitely something that takes a bit more time and a bit more effort, I suppose, than people realize. Like People tend to skip over it because it feels small, but it's not. It's probably one of the the biggest and more important things to actually do before you then start to to move forward. So for those that are listening, please reach out to Belle if you have any questions. We'll put links to things like the books and social media and then the course as well, because I think that's that's important in terms of how to have those difficult conversations. Belle, thanks for thanks for coming on. Thanks, thanks. for sharing your story. And I look forward to keeping in touch. Thanks so much, Mark. Next, joining us in the virtual studio, we have Alexandra Nime. Thanks for coming on. Welcome. I'm very happy to be here. Now, you're an artist and a PR consultant, but you've been on quite the journey. But I thought we'd do our best to pick out what you say was the most valuable struggle or adversity that you've ever overcome. Yeah, it was. I had a, I faced a lot of adversity very different ones um, but since most of them were I didn't consider them necessary for my growth in a sense of a positive experience that you could overcome and you would feel it's valuable um, I would pick the let's call it domestic violence I experienced, I experienced as a child um, because you know when you're a child and you're young you still have all this energy and and you actually want to grow and things don't affect you as strongly as they do later on, especially if they're not justified. And in this case, of course, it wasn't justified because no one wants to experience violence as a child. But um, for me, this was definitely kind of even a positive experience, I would say, in the end. Was there anything in particular about it that that maybe impacted you in a way that forced the lesson because we've gone through people that have gone through traumas and things in the the house as well so this is more about trying to help the audience or the listener anyone that's tuning in understand that there are positives to take from anything but for yourself was there anything that you could think of in particular that forced you to pick a lesson from it? Was that bad that the only way you would get through it would be if there was a reason why it happened? Um, what I learned from this, I don't think this is everyone's experience and it will very much depend who does what to you and why. But I learned one thing, and this really made me survive later on, um, helped me survive, um, that whoever tells you anything, the only thing that really matters is you, what you feel, what you feel is good for yourself. 
and you do what you need. You know, you don't, the other person's opinion does not matter. Your standard for mental, physical, spiritual well-being is yourself and no one else. And I learned very early because of this obviously negative behavior from adults that, you know, very often other people are going to be wrong, you know. And even if they justify it or they think they have a reason to do this, um, you need to know what's right for you. And I knew, of course, that that was wrong because you don't hit a child. You know, I mean, there might be difficult children. I certainly wasn't the case. I was actually, as a friend put it, uh, the only perversion I ever had was excelling at school <laughs> with that kind of background. Um, so, yeah, it helped me grow because I had to hardcore focus on my own core. And it also made me read hardcore trauma literature at nine years of age. Uh, I mean, it was lying around in my grandfather's uh, place and also some some of it in my father's place and that actually again as a result of this I developed a very different approach to many 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 things um, so I did what most people do in their 30s 40s 50s basically in my early childhood I was a very I had a like I was very early developed like intellectually not emotionally but intellectually so I had these books and these became my world so I literally grew up as if I'd been surrounded by a bunch of hardcore therapists. And that changed my brain structure, changed everything. So yeah, I learned from that that all you you need to you need to survive is or no what helps you to survive best is to be yourself. Very, very nicely put. And I could not put it any better myself. But what were the the main steps to overcome it? Was reading the books part of how you handled it, how you dealt with it, or was it part of the way out? So if you could boil it down to sort of three major steps, what did you do to shift that balance towards negative to positive? Because it doesn't sound it doesn't sound that great being perfectly honest Alex if I can call you Alex yeah 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 um, but what helped tip the balance what three steps help you do that I guess also I had a lot of energy we all have in a family so but I I just thought that since I don't have any help all I can work with is myself and I started from my core. I mean, I started from my inside, basically, my heart or my soul. I don't know how to call it. Um, so I started by kind of solidifying my, 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 how do you say? Like, I don't know if you can feel your soul. Can you feel your soul? I mean, it's, it doesn't have a place in the body. It doesn't have a space, right? Uh, but I, I, when I think of myself and I look inside myself, there is something like this core inside of me that really doesn't have any location. It's more or less like at the level of my heart. And it feels like there's this strong core inside of me. I don't know how to explain it. It's my soul. And nothing can touch that. So I, I kind of like focused on that and thought, 
that's me, you know, and this is something no one can destroy. And um, from that place, and now I can start thinking about solutions or hiding places or how to solve this problem, depending on. And then I just developed a plan. So that's basically the three steps. Start from the core, look for resources and get active. I, <laughs> I don't know how, how else, to, it's very hard to, I, I think a lot of people can't feel their soul. It's, it's, and I don't even know if they feel it like I feel it, but th this is how I, I feel inside of myself. Does this make any sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, there's definitely an element of self-awareness that, that you may have from an early age that definitely helped that, you know, finding out more about yourself than the most people at that age definitely allowed you to kickstart the, let's say, the way out shall we say um yeah. what, what elements of it would you say were the most important because it's clear that if you act from an empowered place it seems like a very empowered place you're then able to go out and find the resources but did you have access to them or did you have a way of finding them initially H how did you know what resources to look for well, as I said, I discovered these books and there were different books, but I was extremely lucky, I guess, because one of the, the book that I've, the first one I found was Viktor Frankl. That's this uh, psychotherapist that survived the concentration camps. So, of course, as a nine-year-old child with like intellectually well-developed, but emotionally completely underdeveloped. I did not understand everything he was talking about, but what I understood from what his recollections of, you know, concentration camp and everything was that, yeah, you have to find this place inside yourself. And of course I could not feel it at first because it's, some, yeah, it's like some self-awareness, but also an awareness of your core that you have to develop. It's not there in most people. You're just newborn at this age. I mean, you're a child, so you have no feeling of your body properly anyways. I mean, it's a body, but you start starting to learn to navigate. So um, the book was like a, uh, an anchor in a sense. And, and I just experimented sort of with my own psyche and my own self and this is how it, it was more like instincts and intuition and this is how it it also developed later on I, there were a lot of things that I, I had no idea where to start from very often I, I I just I just let's I guess now I would say let's the divine guide me because now I have a feeling for flow and for divine energies. Back then I had no feeling, you know, of this. I just, I worked with what I had and yeah, I guess it was instinct and intuition and this book, the first one. And then I read all kinds of classics like Freud, Jung, whatever, uh, Adler, etc. later on but it started with Viktor Frankl who is the specialist in hardcore survival I guess yeah a lot of the stuff that you've you've mentioned a lot of it is to do with intuition a sense of clarity how important would you say it has been for you to get through plus 
the other struggles that you've gone through, as well as the one that you mentioned with the domestic violence from an early age, how important would you say it was to keep your to keep your mind clear, to keep a sense of focus and clarity around yourself and how you actually get out of these situations? Ah, well, one has to know that once I cut all contact with my parents at 21, it was very necessary, I uh, trained with a Chinese grandmaster. So clarity and keeping your body and your mind clean is kind of like what they do. I mean, this is the very basic of all martial arts. And I learned from from Xinjiang Liu, um, I learned from him medical Qigong, actually. Um, But of course, there's many routines that he teaches different routines. And they're all basically, it's a constant energetic cleansing of your body. And uh, so this was with me from 21 to at least 29 or something and it it formed a really good base and uh so (laughs) within these years i managed to grow tremendously and it just healed a lot of things you know so plus i had a really good morning routine so these things helped to kind of like subconsciously set a kind of tact like this kind of like how do you say like a clock you know they 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 this they kind of formed this base I I was just I changed from having gone through this very passive fairly traumatic experience to very active constantly reflecting constantly um, thinking about preserving one space and being healthy within one space so so it at some point it was just subconsciously there i also didn't have any any problems no trauma nothing for very very long until i got autoimmune which was kickstarted by uh my heart having been broken which i knew was my own my only weakness i just didn't think it would happen this way and then my autoimmune broke out and as soon as i was vulnerable all this shit started coming but not by design more like by default so when you're weak people kind of some people just kind of take it out on you before they couldn't do that i was too strong i was too clear i was too present and i wouldn't i wouldn't take shit but yeah so it's but yeah clarity was with me for a long time so Interesting that you bring up martial arts and things and that playing a huge part in your ability to be mentally and physically almost aligned with the outcome that you wanted because it's all very specific when it comes to martial arts you're doing something for a reason Mm -hmm. and I think that that seemed to have transferred across over into the the daily practice in the daily life and I like the way you bring up the clock analogy as well almost like it it resets the clock every day if you mm-hmm. and then you're able to sort of go about things in the in the best way possible so just before we we dive off because I've really enjoyed this and I look forward to to keeping in touch with you you mentioned you mentioned staying true to yourself you mentioned resetting your your clock and trying to be as clear and as internally aware as possible what 
other things were you taught from this experience? What other things would you say came up or things that you can impart onto other people that are listening as a result of what you've been through? I would say without being ego, try to keep your own personal space clean of bullshit. You don't need, you, you don't have to answer to anyone other than yourself. And this is not egomanic. This is really like healthy self-preservation. And um, take the time you need to heal. Take the time you need to just be yourself. You know, give yourself the time you need, the space you need. And there's not, and, and I don't know, some people feel guilty about this. I never did. That's my luck. But I know a lot of people do. There's no one, really no one, that is allowed to tell you what's right for yourself specifically when you've just been through some crap because this can take years to heal it can take months to heal who knows you really it's it no there is no set time for this just take what you need and one more thing very important um remember that your biggest asset whoever you are is your innocence like literally you have to stay open despite what you experienced stay open because for experience for new experiences for people because beautiful things can come into your life i know it's hard a lot of people are shit but some aren't and if you close yourself off and you don't give yourself enough space and time you will miss out on these opportunities and these really are the opportunities that make life worth living that was very well put, Alexandra, from being perfectly honest. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. It's been amazing. Sometimes these are lessons that you only really learn once you've been through what all of the guests so far have been through. So it's also speaking to the fact that, in your opinion anyway, because obviously you've, you've lived a life going through more than average, more than most people. Oh, yeah. What would you hope people take in terms of the lessons that people would use? Because there are lessons that people may not need to learn because mm. of their current life circumstances. But these lessons that you've told us, they seem like lessons that we would learn no matter what. These are lessons that we need to know whether we've gone through a lot or not. So... What are your thoughts on these lessons being lessons that we would need to learn no matter what? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, there's people who need to uh, need a certain amount of resistance and and obstacles to grow. There are some people like me who actually don't need them. However, as a child, it was at least not massively damaging and given my circumstances, I was able to heal it. But um, it, <laughs> Yeah, as you say, there's really not, there's really no blueprint for this. There is no, <laughs> there is no rule. So some people might need hardship, okay? Uh, some people might not. Some people need a soft approach. Some people need a hard approach. Um, it's, it, I, I really can't, it, it really, really depends on the situation. Hence, I'm saying take the time and the space you need because no one else but you will know what exactly you need and what is there to learn from it you know i see a lot of people who are very spiritual they don't need this hardship 
to to overcome to understand who they are because they already know uh, i also see a lot of people who do not have hardship in their lives and they would do good to have a little bit of it to actually become deeper and more human that's also a problem um, but it's I, I don't know why it happens sometimes you know it's human design that's usually i think unnecessary because it's artificial and sometimes it's cosmic design which is usually very necessary because that really is your destiny so i think what if you can say one thing and it's not really related that much to um what you need or what you don't need well it is if there's one thing you know humans have been given free will and a lot of people abuse it and cause trouble and problems for other people this is bad in a lot of ways but it's also bad because they're really hurting a person and that means they're hurting themselves because they'll get karma and all these things need to go we need, need to all try to be better people so there's not so much human collateral happening because everyone even if that wouldn't happen and we didn't have free will we still would have lessons that god or the divine or chance gives us you know and that would be enough there is no reason to give other people a hard time if it's not really necessary so yeah maybe self-reflection is a good thing but I, I couldn't give you any guidelines on on what i think people need or it's, it, it really is you know what's good for yourself really but to know what's good for yourself you need to know yourself first and that's something i guess not a lot of people have the luck to to know because society doesn't foster that but yeah i don't know if that was a good answer or not but <laughs> it's a hard topic I, you're asking me too much yeah it, it is definitely a difficult question mm -hmm. and unfortunately we're in a world where it's becoming less and less important like people don't necessarily need it to get what they want um so it's definitely something that it's almost like we have to encourage people while understanding that it might not actually be the case that you need this thing over here so i can definitely see how education without expectation is probably mm -hmm. the yeah the best way yeah oh. yeah it's definitely happening with interns as well you know in, in the company you never know what they need some are super smart and then they they fail at the simple the most simple things and some are really slow and then they have this learning curve that just happens spontaneously and you go like wow where were you <laughs> like i've had this i've seen this so you never know don't assume you know what another person needs i think that's the lesson maybe don't assume you know ask very very great way to end so alexandra how can people learn more about you if they wanted to where can they go to find out well for my art it's www.vitruvianvision.com named after that vitruvian man leonardo da vinci and um my pr consultancy in build is uh thesophisticatedgeek.com It's been great to chat as always and I look forward to keeping in touch. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Cheers. And there we have it. I hope you took a lot from today's episode. Three guests, three stories, 
three perspectives and experiences with plenty of lessons thrown in. If you've enjoyed the show, leave a review wherever you're listening to your podcasts. Subscribe if you haven't already so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And I look forward to seeing you all again on the next episode.